This is a narrated Puritan on a Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Today's historic Baptist sketch is of Robert and James Haldane. Robert Haldane was born on February 28, 1764 in London, and his younger brother James was born on the 14th of July, 1768 in Dundee, Scotland. Robert Haldane was converted in the year 1795. The news of the French Revolution had raised questions in his mind, and he came to see how man was incapable of solving his deepest problems. He later described his religion before that time as a common and worthless profession, and a form of godliness which completely denies its power. What he wrote was, I endeavor to be decent in what is called moral, but was ignorant of my lost estate by nature, as well as of the strictness, purity, and extent of the divine law. While I spoke of a savior, I was little acquainted with his character, the value of his sufferings and death, or the need I stood in of the atoning efficacy of his pardoning blood. But he began to study the Bible, and God gradually opened his heart so that he was soon able to say, he was found of me, who sought him not. His younger brother James had also been converted a little earlier than Robert, and together they became a means of great spiritual blessings to others. From the moment of their conversion, Robert Haldane had a burning zeal to take the gospel into all the world. He had read reports of William Carey in India, and he became interested in world missions. So he became one of the first people in Scotland to become a member of the London Missionary Society, founded in the same year that he was converted. He offered to sell his entire estate. He applied to the British government and the East India Company seeking permission to establish a mission in Bengal, but his request was turned down. It didn't stop him, however, and he turned his attention to the work of the gospel in Scotland instead using the proceeds of a large part of his estate in order to establish a society for propagating the gospel at home in 1798. There's an interesting story of their conversion to Baptist principles in the book Baptism, Its Mode and Subjects by Alexander Carson. In the year 1807, James Haldane, after having sprinkled an infant, was accosted by his little son, a child of six years old, with the pertinent question, Father, did that child believe? No, said the surprised parent. Why do you ask me such a question? Because, Father, I have read the whole of the New Testament, and I find that all who were baptized believed. Did the child believe? It was enough. God's simple truth, which had been hidden from the wise and prudent, was revealed to the babe. The strange question, did the child believe, haunted the mind of that father, until after a thorough examination he renounced his former errors and was publicly immersed. His brother Robert soon followed his example. Whole churches saw the light of this ordinance flashing upon them, and thousands of the most devoted men of Scotland who had taken the Bible as their sole directory reformed her tabernacle reformation, and followed the Lord fully. And now, the following is an excerpt from the lives of the Haldanes, 
Chapter 5 Incidents Connected with Robert and James Haldane Until the Opening of the Circus Church in Edinburgh, 1797-1798 After James Haldane's return from his first northern tour, his position was entirely changed. His idea of leading a retired life as a country gentleman was at an end. He had assumed a new character, incurred new responsibilities, and attracted to himself the notice of all Scotland. He had put his hand to the plow in the gospel field, and to have drawn back after such encouragement would have been spiritual ingratitude and rebellion. The slumbers of a careless and worldly clergy had been broken. The attention of the people had been aroused, and while the gospel had been received by many, a great number began to inquire, What must I do to be saved? There was great excitement, and not a little irritation. But the blessing to himself, as well as to others, which had attended James Haldane's labors, was the best evidence of his call to the work of preaching, the glad tidings of redeeming mercy. The learned and pious Dr. Ralph Erskine bore testimony to the blessing which had previously attended the labors of a zealous lay preacher in the Highlands, and the conversion of many who would not otherwise have listened to the gospel. And the celebrated Mr. Cowie of Huntley, familiarly called to George Whitfield of the North, wrote, quote, No honest pastor has anything to dread from the friendly visits of such men. They come not to shake his influence, but to place him higher in the affections of his people by spreading the light of truth among them, end quote. The same excellent minister, writing soon after this in a missionary magazine, a monthly periodical which had been commenced by some of Haldane's friends, said, I and several other ministers heard Mr. Haldane on this late tour, and I confess, though I have been little short of thirty years a minister, and have heard many excellent preachers and laid my hand on many heads, I have very seldom heard anything so much to my satisfaction, and nothing that could exceed Mr. Haldane's discourses. He carries his credentials with him, and needs no letters of recommendation, Second Corinthians 3, one. Under all these circumstances, it was not probable that James Haldane should falter in his course, or that he should not persevere in his practical answer to Dr. Carlyle and others when they opposed foreign missions, and asked, Have we not enough of heathen at home? He felt that he had been forgiven much, and having known the Lord Jesus as the only and almighty Savior, he spoke from the heart to the heart, as intent on rousing Scotland from a state of spiritual death. In carrying out these home missions, it was important to make a systematic effort to provide other preachers to continue and extend the work, which had been already begun. Dr. Bogue, their warm and cordial friend, had already established a society in his own neighborhood to evangelize the surrounding villages, and he was quite ready to assist in forming a plan to aid in training young ardent Christian men for the ministry. Meetings were held in Edinburgh, for this purpose, and on January 11th, 1798, a committee was formed of twelve laymen, nine of whom were engaged in secular pursuits. In their first address, they said, It is not our design to form or to extend the influence of any sect. Our sole intention is to make known the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In employing itinerants, 
schoolmasters, or others, we do not consider ourselves as conferring ordination upon them or appointing them to the pastoral office. We only propose by sending them out to supply the means of grace wherever we perceive a deficiency. The cause was essentially served by a sermon delivered on behalf of Sabbath evening schools by the Reverend Grafiel Ewing, then a minister of the established church, an editor of the missionary magazine in which he boldly advocated field preaching. The Holy Spirit and the church unite their voice and continually cry to sinners, Come, this precious invitation is so necessary to be known, and known without a moment's delay, that everyone that hears is commanded to repeat it. Like a multiplying and never-dying echo, the joyful sound must be on all sides transmitted from one to another, that in this accepted time, this day of salvation, he that is athirst may come, and whosoever will may take the water of life freely. As the good providence of God enabled James Haldane and Mr. Aikman to preach the gospel of Christ without charge, they labored independently of the society to which we have referred, and resolved in the spring and summer of 1798 to visit the south and west of Scotland, on the same errand of mercy which had led them to the north in the preceding year. They made known this fact to their brethren, whose sympathies and prayers they sought in their undertaking, and having learned somewhat from past experience, they added, we are resolved to confine ourselves in our intended journey to the declaration of what we consider as the truth of God, without making personal remarks on any individual." Their conduct in thus traveling to preach the gospel met with the somewhat qualified approbation of many of the clergy, such as Dr. Erskine, Dr. Stewart, and Mr. Simeon, while good John Newton went so far as in writing to Mr. Campbell to say, if all were like-minded with the Haldanes and Aikman, I would pray the Lord to increase their number a hundredfold. Give my love to them and tell them that I rejoice in their zeal, their acceptance, and their success. Why should not the Orkney and the Shetland Islands deserve attention as much as the islands of the South Sea? I hope gospel zeal will in due time sail northward to Shetland and westward to St. Kilda and all the intermediate islands. Just before our itinerant set out on this tour, they were called to mourn over the decease of their cordial friend, the Countess of Levin. This venerable lady in her younger days had encouraged George Whitfield boldly to denounce and rebuke hirelings, but age had rendered her more cautious. Though amidst her fear, she observed that, after all, anything is better than dust gathering through drowsiness and indolence. Setting out on their journey in June, James Haldane and John Aikman traveled by Peebles, Begar, Hamilton, Greenock, and so on, into Ashire and Galloway, preaching the gospel in all these districts, and finally completing their circuit home by way of Berwick. The attention they excited in the west and south of Scotland was as great as that in the north. To the hearts of very many, the gospel was brought home with power. In some places they encountered more opposition than before, and especially at Ayer, where James Haldane was interrupted in preaching at the market cross and summoned before the magistrates 
but he had done nothing unlawful, and he was not the man to yield to intimidation. He was threatened with imprisonment if he should preach on the following day, as had been announced, but he assured the magistrates that menaces without lawful sanction were of no avail. He would not indeed preach at the cross or at any place to which just exception might be taken, but simply in preaching, he infringed no law, and on the contrary was protected by the act of toleration. One of the magistrates said, Depend upon it, that you will be arrested. Mr. Haldane replied, And depend upon it, sir, I shall be punctual to my appointment. He was on the ground at the appointed time and preached to a large audience without molestation. One of the gentlemen most eager in opposition to the preaching was a county magistrate lately returned from India with a large fortune. In the course of this altercation, having discovered who the preacher was and that they had mutual friends, he was disposed to treat him with greater courtesy, though still persisting in a determination to put downfield preaching. He appeared on the ground the next day with some other magistrates, as if intending to carry their threat into force. James Haldane proceeded fearless of their menaces. They listened in silence, offered no interruption, and went away apparently awed and solemnized. An account of James Haldane's first sermon at the Cross of Ire was written by the late Reverend John Watson, afterwards minister at Dumfries and for many years a very useful itinerant in and about Edinburgh. It will gratify the reader to examine the good man's account of his own conversion, written more than half a century after the event. We somewhat condense the narrative. In the year 1798, writes Mr. Watson to the son of James Haldane, your late venerated father, along with the late Mr. John Eichmann, whose praises in all the churches, visited my native place, the ancient town of Ire. On their arrival one Saturday, intimation was made by the town bellman that Mr. Haldane was to preach at the cross the same evening. I received this information from a good old woman, who asked me if I would go and hear. I replied, no, no, I never go to hear men who preach in the streets for bobbies. In answer to this, she assured me they were independent gentlemen who did not preach for Siller. They appeared to me so extraordinary that I at once resolved I would go and hear for myself, which I accordingly did. His sermon was delivered with such fervor and earnestness as to produce a deep impression on the listening multitude. Intimation was also given that he would again preach with the Lord's permission on the same spot on the following Sabbath morning at nine o'clock. I was at the cross with my father before the hour, where large numbers soon assembled. The text was John 3, verse 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. About the middle of the sermon, the town officers came from the magistrates and said, you must go with us to the council room, where the authorities were then assembled. Mr. Haldane went, but requested the people to remain as he hoped he should not be long detained. He soon returned and informed the people that he was commanded to preach no more in that place, but he told them he would finish his discourse. Before doing so, however, the officers were again sent to stop him, but when they came near, instead of putting their orders into execution, 
They stood respectfully behind until he had finished, and they were heard to say that they were ashamed to execute the orders against such a gentleman. I should explain that the cross stood in a corner of the street where there was an open space, which afforded accommodation for the assemblage, so that the thoroughfare was but little interrupted. On dismissing the people, Mr. Haldane intimated that he would preach that evening on the other side of the river, on the Newton Green. The report of such treatment gave general offense to the inhabitants of the place, and brought a still greater number to hear him in the evening. On Monday morning, Mr. Aikman preached to a large assembly on the town green. A private individual who rented a park for grazing cattle had offered his portion of the green for the public accommodation. Although more than fifty years have run their course since these things were done, the remembrance is fresh on my memory as if they were only the transactions of yesterday. In my imagination, I see Mr. James Haldane's manly form and commanding attitude, and youthful but dignified zeal pouring out of the fullness of a soul a free, full, and everlasting salvation to the wondering multitude who by the expression of their faces seem to say, We have heard strange things today. And I may well remember that first sermon of Mr. Haldane's in 1798, standing as he did on the steps of the old cross of Ire, as it may be said to have been the pivot on which the events of my after-existence all turned. It was that sermon which led me to Christ, and eventually to the relinquishment of my business and other engagements in Ire. It was that sermon that led me to your uncle's academy at Dundee, in Edinburgh, and from thence to the pastorate of the Congregational Church at Dumfries. While James Haldane and Mr. Eichmann were prosecuting this second successful tour to preach the gospel of Christ, a stranger appeared from England who added not a little to the religious excitement of the country. The two preachers had gone to Langholm in the county of Roxburgh in the hope of doing good to the multitude assembled at the county fair. On a summer's evening in the last week of July, when walking on the romantic banks of the river Esk, they passed an English clergyman, also enjoying the beauty of the scene, and engaged in close conversation with the minister of the parish. His person and his errand were alike unknown to them, his tall, commanding figure, piercing eye and aquiline nose gave effect to the countenance beaming with intelligence. It was none other than the celebrated Reverend Roland Hill, with whose narrative of the interview the reader will be pleased. Having no opportunity to appoint different stages at which to preach between Carlisle and Edinburgh, I spent the Thursday evening at Langholm. It happened to be the time of their public fair, and a sad example it exhibited on my first night's lodging in Scotland, the opposite to what I expected to find of decency and good behavior among the people in those parts. The fair was a downright revel. Dancing, drunkenness, and lasciviousness seemed to have been the principal motives which had brought them together. As the same horse was a light vehicle conveyed me and my servant from stage to stage, the next being a long one, I was under the necessity of spending the night in this temporary hell, but that I might enjoy a little respite from the wretched tumult I took my evening's walk out of the town by the side of a romantic river. Here I was very kindly accosted by a gentleman, who I conceive was a minister of the parish, 
and who with much hospitality offered me every accommodation his house could afford from the confusion of the town. But having already secured a private lodging, I declined his very friendly offer. While we were in conversation, Messrs. James Haldane and Eitman passed. These gentlemen were then unknown to me. I was told in very candid language their errand and design, that it was a marvelous circumstance, quite a phenomenon, that an East India captain, a gentleman of good family and connections, should turn out an itinerant preacher, that he should travel from town to town, and all against his own interest and character. This information was enough for me. I immediately sought out the itinerants. When I inquired for them and the landlady of the inn, she told me she supposed I meant the two priests who were at her house, but she could not satisfy me of what religion they were. The two priests, however, and myself soon met, and to our mutual satisfaction passed the evening together, end quote. Roland Hill on the next morning went forward towards Edinburgh, while his two friends remained to complete their labor of love. Well, to conclude this story, in 1816, Robert published a work on the evidences and authority of divine revelation. In the summer of 1816, he visited Europe, first at Geneva and afterwards in Montauban. He lectured and interviewed large numbers of theological students with remarkable results. Among them were Caesar Milan, Frederick Menaud, and Aubigny. The circle of men spread the revival of evangelical Protestant Christianity across the continent of Europe, impacting France, Germany, and the Netherlands. Through conversion and missionary impetus, the effects of this revival were felt as far afield as Italy and Hungary. In 1819, Robert had his theological prelections published in a commentary on Romans, he returned to Scotland in 1819 to live partly at the estate he had bought in 1809 and partly in Edinburgh, on Duke Street. Like his brother James, he took part in many of the religious controversies of the time, mainly through correspondence and the newspapers. Robert Haldane died on December 12, 1842 in Edinburgh, and was buried in Glasgow Cathedral. James Haldane was never a preacher for the Church of Scotland but was an evangelical preacher who proved more popular than the established church. His studies of the New Testament led him to leave that denomination behind and work in an independent church movement. Along with his brother and others, James established 85 independent churches in Scotland and Ireland, churches originated by the Haldanes practiced baptism by immersion, weekly communion, and congregational polity. His advance in years compelled him to withdraw from the more exhausting labors of travel and open-air preaching. He sought to influence the discussion of current religious and theological questions by means of the press. In later years, he adopted Baptist views. He died on February 8, 1851, at the age of 82, and is buried at the Haldane family plot in St. Cuthbert's Churchyard at the west end of Princess Street in Edinburgh. James Haldane wrote such works as the duty of Christian forbearance in regard to points of church order. Strictures on a publication upon primitive Christianity by John Walker. Refutation of Edward Irving's heretical doctrines respecting the person and atonement of Jesus Christ. Man's responsibility that he wrote in 1842 is a reply to Howard Hinton on the nature and extent of the atonement. 
He also published a commentary on Galatians, the Doctrine of the Atonement, the Doctrine and Duty of Self-Examination, and the Wisdom of God Displayed in the Mystery of Redemption.